From the Jesuits of Canada and the United States, this is AMDG. I'm Mike Jordan-Lasky. In the year 1838, the Jesuits of the Maryland province sold at least 272 enslaved men, women, and children to a plantation owner in Louisiana, in part to provide financial support to Georgetown University, which was struggling at the time. The Jesuits have long been aware of this shameful history, but living descendants of the 272 have only learned about their ancestors over the past five years thanks to meticulous genealogical research. More than 10,000 living descendants have been identified since 2016. Two of those descendants are my guests today, Joe Stewart and Sherilyn Branch. After learning of their family histories, Joe and Sherilyn worked together with other descendants to found the GU 272 Association. They approached the Jesuits in 2017, looking to dialogue with the Society of Jesus in pursuit of creating a billion-dollar foundation to support racial justice work and educational opportunities for descendants. My third guest today is one of the Jesuits who participated in this dialogue process, Father Tim Kosicki, the president of the Jesuit Conference of Canada and the United States, which also makes him my boss. These three, along with other descendant leaders and representatives from the Jesuits and Georgetown, went through a years-long dialogue process and arrived at a memorandum of understanding. The Jesuits of the U.S. would contribute $15 million to start the foundation and pledge to fundraise an additional $85 million. The result is the Descendants Truth and Reconciliation Foundation, which was announced this past March. The foundation marks the first time in history the descendants of those enslaved have collaborated like this with successors of the enslavers. You can learn more about the history and the foundation at their website, which is descendants.org. Joe, Sherilyn, and Father Tim talked to me about the dialogue process and their vision for the foundation. They hope this unique pathway forward might inspire similar efforts throughout the country. It was a real privilege to hear Joe's and Sherilyn's stories and I'm happy our format here on AMDG gives them more space to share their voices than the typical news story would. You can subscribe to AMDG wherever you get podcasts. And thanks for joining us. Well, Sherilyn Branch, Joe Stewart, and Father Tim Kosicki, welcome to AMDG. Thanks so much for taking the time to talk to me Uh Sherilyn, why don't we start with you? Um, maybe we could just start by telling us all a little bit about yourself and uh, how you're connected to the foundation. So um, thank you for having us. I am connected to the foundation because I serve as president of the G72 Descendants Association. And you probably know already that that association was founded um, by a group of descendants um, who wanted to um, find a, a way of answering the call when we uh, discover the truth of our ancestors in reference to um, the Jesuits and Georgetown University enslavement. So um, we are now into the fifth year formally of our association and um, we are a 501c7, so um, nonprofit, but not a 501c3. So I serve as board president for the association. Excellent, well, well welcome. Uh, Joe Stewart, how, how about you? Yeah, well, I, I started out with 
Cherylin. We we started on the same Sunday afternoon back in 2016. We started to organize at that time. We started when we learned about the uh, the, the New York Times article on April 16th, which was the first time uh, most of us uh, knew, or uh, maybe even all of us knew, about our uh, ancestors and the connection to the Jesuits. And so that was, let's just call that a new beginning for me. And uh, meeting Cherylin, uh as we all know, it's been a pleasure getting to know people that's been a part of your family that you knew nothing about, didn't know they existed. And now we are in the process of rebuilding uh, the families of those who uh, were sold to Louisiana, to, to uh, stayed in Maryland, and those who were sent out to St. Louis. So we are excited about the journey we are on to represent the descendants of those enslaved by the Jesuits in, in Maryland, Missouri, uh, and Louisiana. Great. Well, well, thanks, Joe, and you're very welcome. And uh, Father Tim. Well, I, I've always said that the history of Jesuit slaveholding has been well published and documented, and I've known about it, but it was always an historic event, something that happened in the past, something you perhaps learned in a class or read in a book. That history came very much alive for me in April of 16, when I read the article in the New York Times. And oddly enough, I was at a meeting of Jesuit provincials in Madagascar. It was the provincials of Africa and Madagascar. And even though we were in session when that story came online, by the end of that session, every one of those provincials had read the article. It, it took worldwide attention. And many of them turned to me and said, how are the Jesuits going to respond? And that was really the very beginning of my journey. Yeah, and I, I'm excited to ask a little bit about those uh, beginnings as we, we move through here to help folks understand. You know, I think for a lot of us, we can see a headline um, in, in the newspaper, read some coverage. And that's the first we, we know about it. But kind of like an iceberg, that's just the very tip, right? We know like that underneath the water is so much more and all, all this work that has gone into it. So I'd love to kind of go through a little bit of, of that journey. But maybe we could start, Sherilyn, just with you. As I said, it's been a few months now since... Um, this the creation of the Descendants Truth and Reconciliation Foundation was announced in March. So I'm sure that's been a whirlwind of a couple of months uh, for you as someone so so closely involved. I'm just curious if you could maybe just tell us what has the response been like from your perspective or what are some of maybe the most interesting reactions uh, you've seen or heard? So uh, I think uh, because many responses come um, to the newspapers, some of them come through calls to the association or people write to us, um, we understand that we are not monolithic in our thinking or in our understanding. And so many people come to us with, okay, there should be money paid or um, that um, what are we gonna do about this because it, there has to be something done. Um, the responses have been varied. Um, obviously reparations have, have come up. Um, how do the Jesuits atone for this great sin? And to date, um, even though many people talk about money um, and are clearly uh, feeling that this should be monetized in some way, um, there are other people who just wanna know the truth, um, who would like to express themselves in ways 
that um, they feel that they need to have a voice in what happens going forward. And so um, as an association, we've been at, at this work for almost five years or going into five years. And so for the association's point of view, it's about um, truth, racial healing and reconciliation. Um, obviously many African-Americans um, have been clear about the Catholic church and, and, and finding its um, uh, racism within the institution and they've expressed no surprise. But um, finally, some people are just really angry. Um, and I, I, we would indicate um, everyone has a right to their own feelings and their own position on this. But there are many positions and probably many that we have not heard. But um, having voice or a point of view is something that we um, hear a lot. Is there is there anyone you've heard from? Maybe people who are wondering, could I potentially be a descendant or people who are excited to hear about the work or wondering how they can get involved? Like what, what sorts of responses like that have you heard? So certainly we have had those responses in reference to the foundation. The responses are, you know, maybe let's go back and reset. But in terms of people who are calling, wanting to know more, that's um, part of the beauty of, of this work. Um, we began in a, as an association to, re, to reunite families mm. and to help people discover um, their roots, for lack of any other terminology, but to find family and to reunite family. And so some of that has occurred. Uh, many people have been able to, to locate um, relatives or former ancestors um, through getting or working through us. And so genealogy is some of the work that we do, but just to be able to lend a hand to make sure that people um, can find ways or, or take those steps to um, to look at their lineage. Um, you know, they've heard stories about Louisiana. Well, what part? Well, how do you look? How do you find? Does my name match with one of the 42 or 43 names um, that were listed? You know, um, I, I um, you might hear that somebody says, well, I know I, I, they came from Louisiana, but I don't know where. So, you know, to help them, to give them some idea of how to search. And so that's been really gratifying because the light comes on because we all want to be connected to, to who we are and where we came from. So, yes. Sure. Joe, maybe you mentioned again, working with Sherilyn from the beginning of this process soon after you kind of learned of your your own connection as a descendant. Um, maybe you could bring us back a little bit uh, in that journey from those early days. Uh, how, how did this come to be? We, we can't go through uh, every single thing over five years, unfortunately, but just an overview of from those first days, um, what was well, that like? What were, yeah, just bring us well, up behind well, the scenes. Let, let me just, I, I like to always focus on the day, August 14th of 2016. That's just a couple of months forward from April 16th of 2016. It was the day that those of us that are now deeply involved in the Descendants Association and the Descendants Truth and Reconciliation Foundation, it was the day that we started on a journey that none of us had envisioned was a journey we would take in our lifetime. We, uh, most of us are, are senior now and not some much less than others. But the fact is, uh, we didn't know where we were from. So all of a sudden you're taking now a journey that's full of mixed emotions. Uh, number one, you're really uh, a bit taken back that the church that you've been a part of for all of these years 
was a church that enslaved your ancestors and you didn't know that. So there was a deep sense of hurt, pain, and disappointment. But at the same time, there were a whole lot of emotional good feelings that was related to, my God, Cheryl and Branch. Her ancestors and my ancestors came to Louisiana in the same boat. And they were from the same places in Maryland. And that they lived as families in Louisiana together. And here we are, uh, 180-some years later, and we're meeting for the first time. And uh, as Sharon as would say, I just met Queen Sugar. <laughs> if you think about it, I, I just met Queen Sugar. And I mentioned Sherilyn, but there were 11, 10 or 11 of us on that first call. And uh, I only knew one or two of those individuals from the, uh, my time in Maringwin when a lot of us were, were there. And so um, you have these mixed emotions, but you also know this. You want to do something about the dignity that was taken away from your ancestors, that they were no longer here to stand for themselves. And you felt a deep obligation to stand for them. And it was that motivation that caused us to say, wait a minute, 400 years now, 40 acres in a mew, Jim Crow, everything. And look where we are. Look at the statistics now. Look at the lack of progress which should have been made 200 years ago. And what we have now is a nation still uh, just trembling from the remnants of the legacy of slavery being uh, manifested in so many different ways. Every time we solve one problem, we think we've made a step ahead in justice and equality, and we encounter another mutation, another mutation to keep us separated, to keep us unequal rather than equal. And so here we were saying, well, how do we do this? How do you restore dignity to your ancestors? And I think the thought that we had, let's create a foundation. Let's create a foundation that we can institutionalize the change that needs to take place to uplift those that's been downtrodden. And by that we meant, let's establish a foundation, an irrevocable trust, let's go to the Jesuits. And this was all descendant thinking at this time. We hadn't met uh, Father Tim Kosicki yet and the other Jesuits, but it was our thinking that if we can do this, a foundation can work for the next hundred years. And that that was the, the contribution that we would make to our descendants. Uh, we couldn't go back and change the plight of our ancestors, but we sure can change the plight of our descendants and get off of the course it's on now. So our vision included creating the foundation in order to invest forward and uplifting through a focus on education, the quality of life and justice and equality for our descendants a year from now and a hundred years from now. And it was only with the vision of a foundation could we do that. So it has been tough, it's been hard, but along the way, God gives you some gifts. And uh, from my standpoint, he gave me gifts like 
uh, Carolyn Branch and a lot of the other descendants and Earl Williams. He gave me gifts like Tim Kosicki and, and Brian Paulson and, and Scott Santa Rosa and the people who have been on this journey working diligently to turn the vision to reality, the commitment of a partnership. And I'm glad you asked me that because it gave me a chance to talk really long. So I'll back off now. No, I thank you for sharing uh, that story and uh, your passion and setting us up. And you mentioned go, having this idea and then needing to, to go to the Jesuits. And, and Father Kasiki was one of the, the Jesuits who you, you met. So, Father Tim, I, I wanted to hear from you if you can remember back to those first interactions you had. Uh, with Joe and Sherilyn and the other descendant leaders, uh, what were those? Ex what was that experience like? Did you hear from them? Was there like a, a letter? Did they like call you on the phone? How did the process start, and and how did it get going? It began for me in April of 2017 when a decision was made that the Jesuits would apologize for this history of the campus of Georgetown University, and the night before that apology, it was it was actually scheduled to coincide with Emancipation Day in D.C., but because that was over Easter, it was Easter Tuesday. And the, the night before, there was a, a mass, and I, um, that's where I met Sherilyn Branch. And, <laughs> you know, with God as my witness, she and I did not know each other, but I just turned to her and said, pray for me. I have, I have something very heavy to share tomorrow. And uh, that began a relationship which has only grown stronger and deeper. It, since then, um, I began to meet any descendant who reached out to me. But uh, a significant petition was sent to Rome by Cheryl and Joe and two others in May of 2017 and asking the general to send a visitor. And the Superior General in Rome wrote back and asked that the provincials in the United States enter into a dialogue with descendants through the structure of the conference, and he copied me. And it was Joe Stewart who called me from that letter, later invited me to his home, uh, a very moving moment. I've spoken of it frequently, where as soon as I entered his house with a vial of holy water, he and his wife, Clara, asked me to bless their home, and we began the conversation. And I, I say that because Sherilyn and Earl are a fundamental part of my vocation and my life at this point. And there have been many other descendants through unstructured conversations and through formal meetings. Um, it wasn't until we developed a formal process that we could lead to a pathway forward. But all of those relationships have played a key role in this vision. It's interesting, Tim, because I've heard that story you've told uh, about meeting Joe for the first time. But to hear also the story of meeting Sherilyn, kind of asking for that prayer as you were you know, about to enter into something heavy and, and challenging. Those are kind of parallel stories, uh, kind of starting from that, that place of, of spiritual connection, um, while also, you know, acknowledging the, the challenge and the, the history there. Um, but that, yeah, that's a moving example. So you mentioned this di dialogue process. And uh, so that was something that came from these early conversations was, can we have some descendant leaders come together, some leaders from the Jesuits, some leaders from Georgetown and come together and chart a pathway forward. Now I know those dialogues facilitated by the, the Kellogg foundation and, and went over the, the span of, of many months. And I know those were confidential places, but I, with, Without, again, give, divulging any of those things you're, you're not able to share, I'm just wondering if you could tell us how that 
dialogue process went, how, to, how it affected you, how you were able to move from, well, you know, this this moment of conflict toward let's work together in a, in a path forward. So maybe Sherilyn, if you could, any re- reflections from that, that dialogue process you could share? Well, first off, when you dialogue in a, in a circle with nothing between you but air and opportunity, um, you begin to reveal parts, of your, reveal parts of yourself that you may not even realize that, that were there. And um, the moments were, um, were so strong and the weight in the room was so heavy because not just the descendants present, but the Jesuits present recognizing that they are facing people whose ancestors, their predecessors enslaved. Now, um, it, it still gives me um, goosebumps because um, it took some time for us to understand not just how to speak in a language that we could all receive, but also not just be received, but be understood. And um, I think as we began to be facilitated, we learned more about each other, Um, not just our own personal stories, because of course we had to share those, but also um, to hear the contrition of, of men who, um, because Joe and I and Earl, we're, we happen to all three be Catholic. And so for our faith um, being at stake in terms of how we not just present, each other, present ourselves, but how we speak in terms of representing the ancestors, our predecessors, those who did so much to make a way for us to be where we are. And so it was important that we represent um, our ancestors. And I think for, it seemed as though for the Jesuits to represent their very strong views about, um, you know, who was there at the time that all of this happened in terms of our, our shared history, but also how do we get to the truth and where does the truth take us? And so all of that was in front of us in, in this circle and, and the weight of it um, was, was quite heavy. But um, over time, because not just months, but over over time, over a couple of years, having those conversations began to help us to come to center in terms of understanding um, not just the point of the descendants, the idea of the foundation, but who we are in our faith, in this walk together with priests who we have never been in relationship with uh, to be able to do that and to take a journey, a real journey. Um, to do something meaningful, something that had never been done by anyone. And so all of that weight um, and wanting to be um, appropriate with each other, but also representing our thoughts, our feelings, our emotions, and our faith. Thank you so much for, for sharing that. Uh, sure. Joe, how about you? Any reflections from the, the dialogue process? Yeah, uh, I, I love the way uh, Sherilyn explained what we went to. And I'd, I'd like to add to it. Let's don't give anybody the impression that this was not hard. This, this, this was hard. Uh, but that's how you develop trust. That's how out of trust you develop real relationship that can sustain themselves under, under attack. And I got to tell you, we, we, we sat through those sessions. They weren't necessarily comfortable. And though we went there expressing ourselves and saying we come with open hearts and extended hands, 
there, there were times when uh, I got to tell you, it got a little tense. Uh, I know they were priests, but I felt my hands trying to fold because it, it, we had tough moments to get over. And you want to fight sometime and then you call upon the better parts of you to say, stay focused, stay focused. This is, as Carolyn likes to say, this is a long run. This is a distance race, a marathon. It is not a sprint. And so we had to remind ourselves of that and to hang on to every little piece of progress we were able to make. And uh, not knowing a, a, a Jesuit provincial, not knowing them on a personal level, it took a little time to know uh, these people. They are all different. But you learn to respect that and you try, you try to look into the hearts rather than into the facade. So, uh, yeah, we, we, we had some tough times. But I tell you something. You look at this uniqueness that we've created and you judge what has come out of the tough times. And what we've created is something that's never been created before in the history of this country. We've created something that's a different pathway forward, something that gives us hope that is far beyond some of the, the, the barriers and roadblocks and fights and, and disasters and falling all the way. We believe we got something the United States, all men of goodwill, can grab a hold to, and we can go into a future and get to a different place that we hadn't been able to reach in the past 400 years. So when you feel that all of that has been accomplished, then you know in your heart all of the pain, and I, I will call it suffering, was worth it. And you begin to appreciate the fact that you don't get anything of great value without paying a great price for it. And so uh, that's my sense of being pleased with where we are, but also recognizing there aren't any smooth roads ahead of us. We have to pave them as we go. And that's the challenge that still con we're still confronted with. I love that image of having to, to pave as you go. <laughs> There's no, yeah. no one's done this before. There are no maps, uh, no blueprints. Right, right. Um, make it as, as you go. Father, Father Tim, could you share any reflections you had from um, what happened to you during those dialogues? Well, I want to thank Cheryl-Lynn uh, and Joe for, for their reflections. And I just want to build on that. And I think the first word I want to use is our process was based on truth, racial healing, and transformation. And all the pain that uh, Cherylyn and Joe talk about was based on truth. And, you know, the truth of Jesuit slaveholding is tragic. It's shameful. It's sinful. And it, it's something that any one of us would like to walk away from. Uh, only I came, and this was one of the most painful realizations, is that perhaps in my mind I could think I could walk away from it. I knew that Sherilyn and Joe and the other descendant leaders could never walk away from this history. They could never walk away from their ancestors. And I, I felt 
if I really want a partner, if I really want to open my heart, am I going to have the same vulnerability uh, and the same commitment that is bound to them by God? And the fact that we were all Catholics, some of us were ordained ministers, but we were all baptized Catholics. Uh, and, and for some in the circle to have felt betrayed by the church, and in particular by the Jesuit order, again, that sense of a minister who's part of uh, history that has betrayed is, 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 again, very, very painful. And so I want to stick to that word truth. Because I think that's the hardest thing we have as a nation is coming face to face with the truth. And I think if any of us would give ourselves time to really um, see this truth and how ugly it was, uh, we'd recognize how much work remains to be done. Uh, the, the, the process was very trusting. Uh, there were times when we genuinely listened to one another um, and we listened to one another in great care and honesty. And that was really, I think, the building block to moving forward, that we didn't have to stay crippled in the past, but we could actually dare to step out. Uh, and that image of, of paving the road as we go along, well, yeah, you have to step out of the road, step off the, the road commonly traveled. You have to blaze a new path, which means there are a million obstacles and there's uncertainty. And sometimes you don't know if you're going in the right direction. But I think through faith, through trust and through prayer to say we are going to step out from the same old, same old, that we're going to dare something new is perhaps the greatest uh, hope that this dialogue gave us. Mike, let me add something. Carolyn, were you about to say something, Carolyn? I, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, so, so let me just say something following on to, to, to uh, Father Seki here. And, and when Carolyn said we're all, we were all Catholic, both she, Earl, and I, and a great part of our membership were Catholic, and it was because the Jesuits baptized us before they sold us. <laughs> and so you have to deal with all of that. But what we realized and what we knew is that the Jesuits were not solely responsible for what happened to us. It was our church. So when we looked at the Jesuits, in a sense, as we developed these relationships, we had to think of the Jesuits as the pathway forward into the entire church which has not yet come forward and done what the Jesuits did, apologize for being directly involved. And so the journey includes the Catholic Church, not just the Society of Jesus. And that is the reason it is something we appreciate having the Jesuit leadership stand up against their involvement and make a commitment to action to do something forward. We need that same step to be taken by our church, by, by the Catholic church. And when we all use this beginning, we can penetrate all of God's one human family with the vision that we have here. But the church has to be an equal participant with the Jesuits in this. Joy, I wanna ask you about that vision it's such an early stage in the, the process. As you were mentioning earlier, this is about the next hundred years or, or even more. But for you, 
when you know things are are challenging, what is that vision of 10 years, 20 years, 100 years? What is the vision that inspires you? The vision for the foundation? What do you think it might do in your wildest dreams? What inspires me is this. I know we've created something that is structured to invest in the future. I know if we invest in, in the future, we can change the future. And we've institutionalized that by having a foundation and a sustainable trust. I know this, and the reason we chose not to put a price on our ancestors and do the same thing that the Jesuits had done. The Jesuits sold our ancestors. We didn't want to sell them down. It wasn't about money. It couldn't be about money. It had to be about uplifting humankind, uplifting descendants. So what excites me is I'm happy. I won't be here to see that. I doubt if I'll see what you're asking me. I don't need to see it. All I need to do is to die knowing it exists and it's going to grow because the vision is so unique. The Jesuits have committed to this to be a, a ministry of the, of the Jesuits. And so we have planted this seed in fertile ground. I know it's going to grow. How big 10 years from now? I hope it's an oak tree 10 years from now, if you want to ask me how big. Let me believe that it can be an oak tree 10 years from now. Sherilyn, I, I would like to ask you a, a little bit about the the work of the foundation, what this, what this oak tree might be producing. Uh, really, kind of committed, kind of first and foremost to to racial healing, reconciliation, right? And the name. In, in your experience, I know you've been an educator in your career, involved in, in the association. I'm just curious for you, what. What, what are those some, what does that, what might that look like? What, what is racial reconciliation? What a world that is more racially reconciled, what might that look like? What would we see? What would tell us that we were moving in the right direction? When I first found out the truth, I knew that the, the, the old saying is the truth will set you free. And so there was a sense of freedom that I felt, but I also felt that it had to be shared because you can't come to, any mutual understanding without uh, sharing. We all know right now the truth is on trial in the United States, all over in everything that's been done in the last five or six years, even more so with some of the things that we even see and, not, and are told not to believe. So this truth being revealed to me compels us to do something beyond ourselves, something for the greater good. Um, I can tell you a story about my family and education is probably why I'm an educator now. What has made the difference in my life has been education. My great grandfather, who was a slave, could read and write. He came to New Orleans for a better life. But after he figured out what to do off the plantation, all his daughters, he sent them to school. They all went to college. My mother, one of four, all had you know, university experience. My mother was the only one without a degree, but the bottom line is how important education is. So for me, I thought that was the great freeing opportunity um, to reveal the truth, to reveal it in our schools, for the Jesuits to teach it in, in schools and for institutions to embrace the truth of the history of the United States, not just about the Jesuits, but of the United States and what that looks like going forward 
for us is a way of healing racism because the truth has a way of doing that. And I think that's been demonstrated, especially in the last couple of years, because we have so many people, young people, hitting the streets and, and finding ways to express the truth as they understand it, as they see it, as it is revealed to them. And so I think for us to be this model um, of doing what's right for other people, um, um, scholarships and uh, ways to assist people with educational opportunities and to support generational advancement. Somehow, if that is done, then we can look at some equality, some restoration of, and a sense of equality uh, for those of us who've been marginalized. Yeah, that, that word restoration, again, calls to mind that, that word reconciliation in uh, mm-hmm. even in the foundation name and, and just that sense you both share too is learning this and then finding more descendants and inviting them in to learn about the association and, and the foundation is it's healing. It's restoring what had been torn apart by, by people of faith, by, you know, by structures of sin, that image of restoration. I even think of the prophet Isaiah, right? The people who are in exile and God restores them to their, to their community, to their family and the important work of restoration that is ongoing. Um, so thank you for, for sharing that reflection. Father Tim, I wanted to ask you about the Jesuit connection and the ongoing work of the the foundation. Again, there's been this work for the past five years or so, but we know it doesn't stop for those involved in, in the foundation. It doesn't stop for the Jesuits. How do you envision the kind of ongoing partnership uh, of the, the Jesuits in this work? Well, we signed a memorandum of understanding the provincials of the United States, the descendant leaders in uh, September of 2019. And we committed to a partnership. And, you know, there is no end date to a partnership. A relationship is, 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 is ongoing. And so, so first and foremost, that the, the partnership rooted in relationships should grow, that it began with the leaders in the United States, the, the U.S. provincials. Uh, but, but we want those relationships to grow. Uh, when, when Sherilyn talked about teaching this history in all Jesuit institutions, uh, we no longer have to teach it merely from the pages of a book. We can teach it from the witness of lives who descended from this history. So that's, that has to be a part of this. And that has to grow if this is truly going to be a ministry of ours. And I told you that the process was truth, racial healing, and transformation. It was very clear that we had to do something transformational, which is why this vision of a billion-dollar foundation was the descendants' vision, because that could be transformational. If we really want to address racism in the United States and be a model for the rest of the world and our own country, that we needed a bold vision. And the Jesuits had to step up with a substantial contribution. And that will be my work, is... Uh, raising the first part of this substantial contribution in sight of this big, bold vision. Um, and I think that that is a very exciting and consoling step forward. When you, Father Tim, talk to people who are, you know, from other institutions or other places, private benefactors, um, maybe the, if, someone, if someone were to say like, oh, well, that was Georgetown we're not connected or that was the, you know, so long ago. What, what are some of the ways that you then respond to some of those, those questions? How do you invite people in to kind of share the vision and the mission? Well, as, as Joe, Joe and Sherilyn uh, found out early on was that th- this was Jesuit slaveholding. It wasn't Georgetown slaveholding or a specific institution. While institutions, certain institutions benefited from this history, 
It was we who did it. And while the historic provinces have changed over 200 years, um, we, we trace our roots as U.S. Jesuits to this history. It was part of how the church in the United States operated. And so if we, again, if we really want to form a relationship in a bold way forward, I don't think we can look back and excuse ourselves or say, well, I wasn't as directly connected. I, my family emigrated later, or I was born in another part of the country, or my institution was founded after emancipation. Um, we're not saying that it's any one response, any one institution's responsibility or burden. We're saying it's all of our collective duty to address racism and through our history to do it in a bold and very evangelical way. Joe, I, I wanted to ask you um, a little bit about some of the the reaction you've seen. You've been involved in, in this process for this this long period now. I think anytime you see people coming together to make a bold step confronting a past or looking to do something new, you're going to hear criticism. People who say you're not going far enough or you're going too far. How, how do you respond? What's the invitation to those who might um, offer some of those, those criticisms? What keeps you going in hope? How do you invite uh, more people in to, to share the, the mission? We, we just simply invite them and we invite them by respecting their point of view by understanding we all are not going to see this the exact way and by asking them to consider the fact that we are trying this method and we believe it has high potential to go further than what has been. So just join us on this journey. We're not trying to uh, criticize what they're doing. Uh, we're not trying to replace what they're doing. Do what they wish, but allow us to continue on this path and in the process consider joining us uh, and, and just watch for the success. If you love what we're doing, come be a part of it, please, because we're going to be trying to build. We're going to be trying to build among all people of goodwill. It's, it's just simply that. And it's because we got the faith and the belief that there are more humans of goodwill that God put on this earth than people who want to destroy what God put on this earth. And so those are the people we're going to depend upon, that they're there. We have different opinions now, but give us a chance to show we're talking about a hundred year journey. If you can't join us now, just look for an opportunity to join us if we're delivering on the promise. That, that's all. We believe we can deliver on the promise. I'll, I'll go back to, if you don't mind, and add to Father's answer and Cheryl's answer about what does the end of the line look for truth, racial healing, and transformation? Uh, I use the term end of the line. I'm not saying they did, but there is no end of the line for this. As long as men and, and people are coming into this world, and as long as some of the baggage that's become a part of our lives still exist, there will be challenges to overcome the evil. And so what I see is, and these are simple measurements, when black kids 
can receive the same kind of resources and education as white kids in this country. When black men will be no more imprisoned in this country than any other, when blacks are not dying pre, uh, disproportionately from COVID, when blacks are not experiencing every side of the negative equation of existence in this country, then there will be this commitment to God's one humanity on the part of all people or most people. That I will see as our vision succeeding among God's one human family. Well, th thank you so much for, for sharing that vision and for your, your work uh, and the tireless work. Again, knowing it, as you all have said, this is not easy or fun um, a lot of the time, but to just to stick with it and to your witness to the gospel, um, I just find very, very moving. So, so Joe Stewart, Sherilyn Branch, and Father Tim, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. Uh, just God bless you all in your continuing work, and we'll be excited to see uh, what unfolds. Thank you thank very you, much, Mike. Thank you, Mike. AMDG is a production of the Jesuit Conference of Canada and the United States. And when we're not working from home, the show is recorded at our headquarters in Washington, D.C. AMDG is edited by Marcus Bleach, and our theme music is by Kevin Lasky. The Jesuit Conference communications team is Marcus Bleach, Eric Clayton, Megan Leepsch, Becky Sindelar, and me. Connect with the Jesuits online at jesuits.org on Twitter at Jesuit News, Instagram at We Are the Jesuits, and Facebook.com slash Jesuits. Sign up for weekly email reflections by visiting Jesuits.org slash weekly. If you or someone you know might be called to discern a vocation to the Jesuits, connect with the Jesuit vocation promoter at BeAJesuit.org. Drop us an email with questions or comments at media at Jesuits.org. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as St. Ignatius of Loyola may or may not have said, go and set the world on fire. <laughs>